Hello, Kiorana, and welcome to CookieCast, the podcast that's all about the Cook Islands. This is the place to meet people who have a unique insight into this Polynesian paradise in the South Pacific. I'm John Roberts, and in this episode, I'll be dropping in, albeit only virtually, on one of the most iconic establishments on Rarotonga, and finding out about its equally iconic owner. I'm talking about Trader Jack's Bar and Restaurant near the harbour in Avarua. Sad to say, owner Jack Cooper died in June 2022, but his legacy lives on, not only in the hearts and minds of so many, but also in a new book that's been decades in the making. Here to tell us all about that, and the larger-than-life man who was dubbed the Gordon Ramsay of the Rarotonga ecosphere, is his daughter, Vanessa Cooper. Welcome, Vanessa. Kiorana, Thanks for having me, John. Vanessa, I call Trader Jack's an iconic establishment, but there may be some people listening who have yet to visit, so perhaps you could start by describing it for us. It's a very distinctive place, both inside and out. Well, it was originally a place where a lot of the ships unloaded their cargo and uh, was originally going to be called Lighters Limited uh, because that's where you would see the boats coming and going, but they moved the harbour not too long um, through the construction of Trader Jack's, but it's essentially on Averill Harbour. It's reclaimed land, so it's right, you feel like you're right out in the water and you get these beautiful panoramic views and there's always something going on there from scuba divers taking off to people swimming to dogs roaming around, uh, paddlers. There's, it's, a, it's just a really great place to sit and watch the world go by. You can hardly miss it because the name Trader Jacks is painted up in huge letters on the roof. Yes, uh, Dad was always one for, um, you know, a bit of self-promotion. So it, well, it used to be much easier to see, but, you know, fantastically the trees are growing. So um, at the time, I I think a lot of people thought it was quite an unusual uh, location, but it is right in the middle of the town. And so that's the benefit of it. You don't have to go far because in Cook Island time, you know, 20 minutes is is like the equivalent of maybe an hour and a half or an hour commute for the rest of us. So, you know, being central is really important and um, and a lot of self-promotion to to make people remember it's there. Talking of self-promotion, there's, there's quite a few distinctive things inside Trader Jack's, including a sign where... Your dad was claiming to be the island's harbour master. Yeah, well, you know, um, Don Silk did seem to think that he was the harbour master, but you know, I think uh, time that you know history will show that Dad was the true harbour master. But no, he he made his own claim to Avaroa Harbour and had a bit of an ongoing um, inside joke, which became quite publicly covered in the Cook Island News and other newspapers claiming who is the real harbour master. But Don Silk had a wonderful relationship with Dad and he liked to to play a lot of practical jokes. And um, unfortunately, the other harbour master, the official harbour master, I guess, um, was the butt of a lot of those jokes. So, But they had a very good and close relationship and he was a real legend that was Don Silk. Sounds like another bit of brilliant self-promotion. Your dad, though, was a Kiwi, so how come he ended up in the Cook Islands? Yeah, he was uh, born in Wellington, 
and um, but mainly raised in Auckland. So uh, strangely enough, even though he moved to the South Pacific at um, quite, a, quite a relatively young age, he'd been around, he'd been in and around pubs since he was about 22. So, and it was a kind of a different time. It was a very hands-on job. It was very much about security issues. Uh, he talks a lot about having to deal with gangs and having to deal with just, you know, arsehole customers and, and the like. And so he got an opportunity to come and manage the Rarotongan resort there. And that didn't last for very long. And then dad was like, well, I'm here. Uh, I look for other opportunities. And that's where he started the Weimar restaurant. And from the Weimar restaurant, he kind of went, well, why is nobody out on the ocean looking at the sun come down and and started thinking about what would he create from the ground up? And essentially Trader Jack's um, came from that vision of dining and drinking by the sea and that's why it's been so popular for 36 plus years as a place to connect and relax and um, he has certainly driven people back in year after year even if it is to get a bit of a cuff around the ears verbally. He, he could be very outspoken, shall we say that. As you say, this was very much a vision he had from his earliest days on Rarotonga. Was it difficult for him to realise that vision? Strangely enough, no. I mean, um, he makes a quote about uh, something about um, the more I surround myself with good people, the luckier I am. And I think Dad's, uh, Jack's forte was in understanding people and in making mutually beneficial deals. I mean, he he credits his former partner, Sonia Ramana, and um, as, as helping him find the location. But um, he just had a lot of business partners that would see his vision. Um, he was very charismatic and he had a really good vision. So I, I think that he was able to kind of from, from the people helping build it and the earthworks through to the suppliers, he, he, he just had good working relationships with people. People enjoyed dealing with him, but he was also no-nonsense as well. And so I think he gained a lot of respect because of the way he operated. Now, the bar opened in 1986, but no less than three times it's been smashed to pieces. And I don't mean by lively patrons, but by the forces of nature. He was hit by some of the worst cyclones the island has ever seen. And the first was just seven months after your dad opened Traders. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Cyclone Sally was in 1987, um, right at the start of the year. So the 1st of January. And um, that, that was quite serious and, and was sufficient enough to, and, and early enough in the Trader Jack story to be going, oh my God, what have I got myself into? And I'm sure, you know, Dad was very stressed at this time. But, you know, he continued on and there was, you know, fights with not just insurance, but um, how, you know, how long it took to get an insurance payment out as well. That first cyclone left him a million dollars in debt. So how come he didn't, didn't just give up? That is one of the enigmas of Jack Cooper that no one will ever really know. I think that he had lots of opportunities and could have left the island completely, but I think he found something in Rarotonga that really worked for him. 
He loved the people. He loved the culture. He loved the way of life. And so I think that he believed enough in the vision of Trader Jack's to go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to get knocked down and get back up again. In a way, it was a challenge to him, I think. So he did keep going on. And the the that was followed by Cyclone Pam. And then the last one, the big one, was Cyclone Mina, and that was in 2005. So I guess if he knew in 1987 that there would be another two of these to come, uh, there probably would be no Trader Jacks. But each time he weatherproofed the restaurant more and more, and he looked at ways of how can I um, pack down and, and build back up. He even developed a hydraulic bar where he would be able to lower and then um, freight out uh, the bar in total. Obviously, you'd probably remove your, your, your glass bottles and things, but um, the, the kitchen and, and, and all of the toilet block were all uh, detachable. By far the worst cyclone was the third one, Cyclone Mina in 2005, but Jack showed incredible ingenuity after that. Never get, uh, never get a man like Dad down. Uh, he was definitely finding ways of keeping things going because he didn't have insurance. And um, being devastated by Cyclone Mina, he was in a position where this was going to take a long time to reinvest and build. So he got a shipping container, and he got it, um, got it fitted out, and called it Jack in the Box. And then he would just deliver ice and um actually when they first opened it he just said oh byob you know like let's just just bring your own and uh we'll, we'll figure it out but we're going to celebrate he he made sure he was kind of he he helped people feel hopeful after the cyclones just you know business as usual hey we don't have a building but let's have a drink and let's have some something nice to eat and and um be together a, a meeting place of the of the Cook Islands. Talking of a meeting place, from the earliest days, traders became a real meeting place for the movers and shakers of the islands. And I believe it was once referred to as the second houses of parliament. What was that all about? Yeah, uh, traders was in great proximity to a lot of important agencies, both public, um, legal and civil. Um, a lot of the business uh, managers, etc., were in that area. And so uh, Trader Jack's became, in a way, a convenient place to enjoy a meal or um, or have a drink. So there was some criticism that um, there was some kind of undue influence that was happening over at Trader's and that being over there should be circumvented in some way and that, that um, that's where it became known as kind of the second Houses of Parliament because there was a lot of debating that would occur and sometimes some very open discussions would ha- would happen over there and like for instance the law society has always had their drinks over at traders and so uh it is a very small place and it's it's always interesting how politics and business is done so traders was very influential in um creating the environment in which those important discussions happened didn't it even get mentioned in the the official record of parliamentary proceedings in Hansard? Yes, yes, uh, that is in the book. Um, and Dad was very proud of being entered into parliamentary record for for the for the 
influence over uh, parliamentary decision making. So you talked about all these people who who saw it as the, the meeting place to go to, but in the earliest days, it seems that not everyone was welcome. I heard about a system that Jack had of red and yellow cards, a bit like in football. Jack, as a publican, was very good at welcoming you in, but equally good at welcoming you out. And so ever a kind of a jokester and, um, you know, uh, like to, uh, you know, maybe push people around a little bit to get a reaction out of them, um, he created these red and yellow cards. So if you did something like laugh too loudly or, I don't know, maybe you didn't like your hair or something or... No, it would usually be something, you know, somebody was harassing somebody or being a bit of a dickhead. And so he'd give them a yellow card as a warning. He wouldn't say anything. And I can't quite remember what was written onto the cards. I was actually sent, me and my sister Melanie were sent uh, copies of the cards because dad was so proud of them. Um, But if you got a red card, that was, that was, that was, you're out. Did you ever get a red or yellow card yourself when you were in traders? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've had, I've, well, I've had, uh, a yellow card for sure. And, and I definitely did get a red card. Dad very, uh, firmly telling me, leave the one-liners to me because I was getting a few laughs. So, um, yeah, I did, I did get told to, um, leave the premises on that day. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't take competition well. We've, we talked about all these people who frequented the bar, but probably the most famous person to visit traders was Hillary Clinton when she was US Secretary of State. Now, she made quite an impression on your dad. Yes, he he was quite taken by her when he actually get, got to meet her. And, and I think he, he even commented she was the most amazing smelling person he'd ever smelt, but he never expected that he would get to meet her. Uh, she came to the Cook Islands. It was quite a surreal experience for everyone you know it was huge american plane and a delegation of i I wouldn't say a hundred but many 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 people and then asking to have breakfast down at traders not that traders does breakfast but um they thought well we can we can put on some croissants and 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 other things and um some coffee and eggs and and, and and so she came down and then she she asked to meet dad and dad who'd been told to stick to the coffee had by this time uh, changed to a, a gin and tonic and uh then when when he was asked to meet her it was was concerned about smelling like cigarettes and gin dad doesn't get nervous often but i can imagine he would be very nervous to meet her and and um was very chuffed at the experience and she said some very positive things about, you know, the restaurant and the service and that was lovely. Now, among Jack's many talents was uh, being a bit of a joker. Um, I'm thinking about the special menu he cooked up on one April Fool's Day. He had taken uh, a lot of different Cook Island words and uh, had fashioned these dishes that were things like, I don't know, monkey's balls and quite, quite disgusting things. Um, You know, I, I don't know, pig's trotters or something. I can't remember what they were, but I'll I'll, um, I'll remind you because there's a lovely story in the book. It says pan fried flying fish, curried dog, pig guts and flying bat. And people actually turned up for this. 
Uh, yeah, well, people were saying, uh, can 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 I reserve a, a table, please? You know, they, so the, their reservations went up and it was supposedly to, I mean, the joke was, the joke was on the people that didn't understand it, but even the people that did understand it were like, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I have to say the book's full of fantastic tales like that. Another one I particularly liked was about the YouTube video that went viral publicising a takeaway service that never was. Yeah. It, strange execution. You know, Dad just just likes to do new things, and he got this proposal to do um, a drone um, advert, and it was it was kind of to the kind of tune of Mission Impossible, and he's up on his deck in Cooper Heights, K-U-P-A, which was his... Uh, localized last name for Cooper and um, he's up at Cooper Heights and he calls down to traders and says he wants a puki bowl which is a Hawaiian dish similar in many ways to like bento and and other Asian dishes and um, it has Rosa getting a drone and and delivering it up and it's just there's these moments of really hilarious little moments and in the end dad's you know eating his poke bowl and and you know drinking his gin and uh, but it's it's really well filmed and I know dad would have loved to have done a lot more of those kinds of things for some reason it just really gets me I find it really hilarious so 40 years behind bars a book that's been decades in the making and a lasting legacy but why did it take so long to get it into print even when I was sitting with him at the end of it all in 2019, where we had some sort of formulated book there, he kept adding stories and he kept adding stories. And it felt like there was no easy time to go, yep, okay, that's a book. There was always more. And so he went from 30 years behind bars and um, actually did a, an interview on Radio New Zealand talking about his book, 30 Years Behind Bars, but the the process of just kind of continually wanting to try and add and have new stories, it was just kind of, and even at the end, um, he had me uh, interviewing people from fisheries and was talking a lot about the environment and the Pacific Ocean in particular and, and the environment. It was just, he, he just... He could have kept going and going and going, and um, and and that's why I say the book isn't perfect. It's largely just to forty years of an amazing journey um, through through pubs in New Zealand and and running such a kind of landmark uh, watering hole in the Cook Islands. But it's a pity he's no longer with us because I really do think he could be fitting in another 40 years worth of hilarious anecdotes and really great insights about a range of things. Trader Jack Cooper. My thanks to Vanessa for sharing that insight into a man who became a living legend. Vanessa talked about how Jack bounced back after those devastating cyclones. And in the book, he tells how, after Cyclone Sally he was forced to spend some time away from Rarotonga to make ends meet. It was while working at Expo 88 in Brisbane that he had what he calls a profound cultural experience, watching a drumming and dance performance by Cook Islanders, 
and that convinced him he needed to return to Rarotonga. So, let me leave you with an example of the type of drumming performance that inspired Jack. I hope you'll join me again soon for another Cookie Cast, when I'll be chatting to another guest with a fascinating insight into the Cook Islands. Kakiti.